This is State of Water. State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for lending your ears. We're grateful to have you on board, and we hope the work that we do can help inform and inspire the work that you're doing out in the world. Stay tuned at the end of this episode to hear an original piece of music written and performed by guitarists Mike Savina and Seth Bernard. State of Water is made possible through a generous contribution from the Esperance Foundation. On this episode, we feature the second half of Seth Bernard's in-depth interview with Youssef Rabhi, the current Democratic floor leader in the Michigan House of Representatives. Last episode, Representative Rabhi shared how his experiences with nature growing up led him to a life of activism. He shared how he made the journey from activism to politics and discussed some of the efforts he's engaged in for environmental and social justice. When we last left their conversation, they were discussing the political culture in Lansing and how to achieve bipartisan action around clean water issues. Let's meet back up with them as they continue their chat at Ruse Roast Coffee in Ann Arbor. Here's Seth Bernard. So um, you, you touched on bipartisanship and, um, you know, it, it does feel like a different culture in Lansing than, than in Washington. Um, you have groups like the Conservative Energy Forum. A lot of real genuine friendships um, happen across the aisle. Um, what's it been like for you coming from Ann Arbor to, to working in Lansing and your effort um, to really push this agenda of equity and to, and to do it in a bipartisan way? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think, you know, specifically, uh, you know, so there's there's certain issues that, that I can agree more with some of my colleagues on than others. And I sort of people often ask me, like, you know, what's it like working in Lansing with all those darn Republicans, you know, and, and what my response is generally that, you know, you have to remember that everybody is uh, is on an ideological spectrum on every issue. Right. Mm-hmm. So you can't think of somebody as being like right. Uh, you know, or, or like right wing on everything or left wing on everything, that, that sometimes there are issues where the the political spectrum is a circle or the political spectrum is a different shape than just a line. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when it comes to every individual issue, I have diff- a different type of relationship with each of my colleagues, which is why I feel it's always important to maintain good relationships, despite the fact that I may vehemently disagree with uh, with one of my Republican colleagues on, you know, on the issue of, uh, you know, uh, gun sense legislation or the issue of how we're funding our schools. But 
the chances that I'll agree with them on something along the way is pretty high. So I try to maintain those good relationships. And one of those issues that I've actually found a lot of common ground on is the issue of energy uh, and energy independence. So I introduced uh, a package of bills that I drafted in my office that I actually inherited from my predecessor, Jeff Irwin, who's now our state senator. Mm -hmm. uh, And it was a package of bills called the Energy Freedom Package. And that's basically... A package that makes it easier for, again, people to put alternative energy systems in their own properties. And I got three Republicans, three of the most conservative libertarian Republicans, to be three of my bill sponsors out of five. And then it was myself and another Democrat. So it was a bipartisan package, and we pushed it. And we had a big press conference with the five of us, and we ended up getting hearings and committee. We had the Conservative Energy Forum come out. Uh, it was really incredible to see this uh, this bipartisan coalition of people all coming together to support uh, this really important uh, legislation to help pe- to empower people to put those solar panels uh, on their houses. And so, uh, so those are the kinds of things that we have found some of that common ground on, uh, and that's really exciting. Um, you know, and, and so. So I always keep that open mind to those areas that we can find to work together. But if I could just really quickly, uh, you know, talk more about the social justice side, yeah. uh, there are a lot of right now is, is sort of an interesting time in Lansing politics because uh, criminal justice in particular is something that both sides of the aisle are really excited to address. Mm-hmm. And it's been a long time in the making. Uh, for us to get here. Democrats have been pushing these ideas again and again and again, and Republicans have been resistant because they don't want to appear as soft on crime. But for some reason, right now, there's this interesting uh, interesting uh, period that's happening where Republicans are not as concerned about their soft on crime stance, and they're, you know, they're taking uh, a strong position, a pr- strong pro-human rights position with the Democrats. Uh, and in particular, uh, you know, a couple of those areas is, you know, we're talking, we just passed a raise the age package out of the house right now in Michigan a 17 year old uh, is automatically convicted as an adult and we wanted to change that uh, and so we, we've 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 uh, passed a lot to change that um, things like uh, changing the laws uh, around civil asset forfeiture so that the law enforcement officers can't seize people's assets without a conviction uh, things like allowing for medically frail parole for people that are in jail that have uh, you know chronic health conditions that are maybe even in hospice and letting them out of jail so that they can be with their family members before they pass away and just giving them that compassionate period of time uh, for their families to be with them um, and so things like that and now we're talking about expungement which is one of the most exciting things mm. that we've that I've ever, you know, talked about as a legislator, and I'm excited to be part of that, those conversations, uh, and looking at ways that Michigan can uh, make it easier for people to expunge their records, because so often, one of the biggest barriers to employment in the state is people that have these criminal records, and they try to, you know, they put their resume in for a job, there's a background check that's done, they find something on their criminal record, and suddenly they don't get the job anymore, Uh, and we can change that. Uh, as state lawmakers, we can change how those records are kept and when people's um, records get expunged, basically. Uh, Because unfortunately, right now, even if you have, even if you're eligible for expungement, if you don't have the resources to hire a lawyer, if you don't have the resources to understand how the court system works, uh, chances are you're not going to get your record expunged. In fact, close to 90% of the people who are eligible for expungement today have not gotten their records expunged because they don't have the resources to expunge their records. Mm-hmm. So what we're talking about is automatic expungement. What we're talking about is changing the period of time uh, in, that, in which people can actually get their record expunged, shortening that so that people can get it expunged sooner 
sooner um, and changing all kinds of different factors basically to make those criminal records um, less of a barrier for people who are trying to get back on their feet, who are trying to get back into communities. Uh, and that's something that's been very bipartisan that we've been glad to work with our Republican colleagues um, to get done. Fantastic. Um, so leaning a little bit more into social justice, environmental justice, recognizing that communities of color, native communities are disproportionately harmed by almost every form of environmental degradation. Um, can you talk a little bit about how uh, your relationship with frontline grassroots leaders in Detroit and Flint and in native communities has looked like and evolved? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, my, I think my relationship with some of the, the tribes in Michigan uh, has been something that I have been so honored to work with uh, with our tribal leaders across the state, uh, whether it's the paddle out protest, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, trying to bring them into the political process in Lansing. Uh, some of my some of my strongest friends, uh, I would say, are in the tribal communities throughout Michigan. And I'm, you know, so honored to know them and know the work that they're doing. I feel like our state is a better place because uh, because they're out there doing that doing that good work. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it's just been an honor to work with, with our tribal nations across the state of Michigan. Uh, and then, you know, obviously uh, our friends in Detroit and Flint, but I also want to give a shout out to folks that are doing work in Ypsilanti, uh, which is right, you know, in, in our county here in Washtenaw County. Mm -hmm. uh, people that are working in Benton Harbor mm -hmm. on some of the stuff that they're facing out there. Reverend Pinckney is doing really good mm -hmm. work to raise awareness about, you know, some of the things that are happening there with some of the corporate takeovers that are happening of, you know, uh, uh, of one of the most segregated, honestly, counties in the state, uh, Ben Harbor and St. Joe. And we've seen uh, mm -hmm. we've seen that, uh, you know, when it comes to the emergency manager law and communities getting their uh, sovereign rights, their democratic rights taken away, seeing their assets getting sold off. Uh, you know, it's not just in Detroit. It's not just in Flint. It's happening in, in little, smaller communities all over the state. Communities of color that uh, are often um, overlooked when it comes to when it comes to our conversations about social justice in the state of Michigan. And particularly, you know, one of the things I want to talk about really quickly is the Benton Harbor school system uh, mm -hmm. and some of the stuff that's going on with, uh, you know, them trying to shut down. Uh, the high school in Benton Harbor and, and ultimately the, the school district in Benton Harbor. And I'm um, just so uh, saddened to see that we've gotten to this point. Benton Harbor deserves to have a high school. They deserve to have uh, a school system that is their own, that is unique, uh, and they need the support of the state to do that. They've been under state re receivership for a number of years. Their problems that they're facing today uh, are the state's problems because the state took them over, mm -hmm. and, and we, the people of the state of Michigan, owe them uh, not only an apology but resources for them to rebuild their community after we have uh, so miserably failed them. And I heard you say very similar words in Congress about Flint, uh, that we, the yeah. people, uh, we, the state, have failed the people of Flint, right. and it's a problem that was caused by the state. Right. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've heard too many times from folks, uh, from my, some of my colleagues that have said, um, you know, we've already, we've already done our job in Flint, or now it's time for the people of Flint to take care of their own, you know, problem. Uh, that I just I, I can't stand when I hear that to be honest with you because the the issue that they have had the issues that they have had in in, in Flint uh, have not been of their own making the state stepped in they took over the democratic control from the people in the city of Flint and the state 
uh, emergency manager made decisions that ultimately led to the Flint water crisis. It is the state's fault. There were there were two reports that came out um, that were both state commissioned reports. One of the reports said the the fault for the Flint water crisis is squarely in the state's lap, and the second one uh, was that uh, the Flint water crisis. It, the, the 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 report basically said the Flint water crisis is is uh, a result of racism, and uh, and those two things I think in conjunction say it all right there. Uh, and the fact that we are still um, you know, dragging our feet. I mean, some, some pipes are getting replaced, but it's not happening at the speed that it should, mm-hmm. considering that a major American city, uh, you know, some people still, a lot of people still are not using the water that comes out of their tap because they don't trust it. We need to restore that faith um, that, that people deserve to have when they turn their tap on, um, that, that clean water should be coming out. But there are a lot of people on the ground in Flint doing amazing work uh, to help raise awareness about that issue and to make sure that the people of Flint are not forgotten uh, throughout this process. And that's part of why you know I felt it was important to introduce that amendment to the budget last cycle um, to say, you know, when Governor Snyder said he was going to stop delivering water to Flint, I was disgusted by that because mm-hmm. people of Flint still don't have clean water. And, uh, and so that's why, you know, I thought it was important to introduce that resolution and, and to make Nestle, you know, pay for it. And, and quite frankly, other corporations that are bottling our water for free, it's, you know, not just Nestle, but, uh, you know, I introduced a package of three bills. Uh, in, mm-hmm. in addition to the amendment uh, that, that, I, that I introduced, there was a package of three bills. One of the bills uh, makes it so that all groundwater in the state of Michigan is held in the public trust, mm-hmm. uh, similar to our surface water. All groundwater would be held in the public trust. It's not a commodity. It is a public good. Uh, and the second one would make it so that anybody that wants to extract that, uh, that public good would, in addition to having to pay that $200 licensing fee, uh, would also have to pay a, 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 a basically a bottling tax. Mm-hmm. Um, that revenue from the bottling tax would go into a fund that would support communities like Flint, like Detroit, and other communities across the state that are facing um, issues with their uh, water infrastructure. And the third bill uh, basically prevents the sale of Great Lakes Basin water outside of the Great Lakes Basin. Um, so that, you know, a water bottler like Nestle, if you're going to take our water, you can bottle it, but you can't sell it in Arizona. You can't sell it in uh, New Mexico. You have to sell it in somewhere in the Great Lakes Basin. Um, because, unfortunately, there's a loophole in the uh, Great Lakes Compact that allows for uh, uh, um, containers of 20 liters or less to be uh, shipped outside of the Great Lakes and um that's a way that we're losing Great Lakes water from from our basin. Absolutely. So uh, update us on those bills and, and current efforts, if you would. Yeah. And then we'll move into a little bit more of a rapid fire uh, back and forth about the current situation in Lansing. And then we'll close with a little uh, talk about music, if that sounds good. Awesome. Sounds okay. good to me. Great. Um, so those bills, uh, those were introduced last session. So I still need to reintroduce them this session. At the end mm-hmm. of every session, all bills that haven't passed uh, basically die. Mm-hmm. And so I have to reintroduce those bills still, but uh, I'm, I'm redrafting them um, and hope to reintroduce them soon. I'm also trying to engage other members of mm-hmm. the House to maybe introduce some of the bills themselves. So it's not just me introducing all three of them, mm-hmm. trying to engage other people in that process so that we have different voices at the table as well. Uh, but before we move to move on, I just want to quickly uh, give a shout out to the first bill uh, that I introduced. Um, one of the first bills I introduced this session was the polluter pay bill, mm-hmm. which I think is one of the m- most important pieces of legislation um, that we need to focus on as a state, which it, in simple terms, 
if you make a mess, you have to clean it up. It makes polluters have to clean up their their uh, mess. And um, unfortunately, we don't have laws in the state of Michigan that require that, which is kind of uh, uh, it, it, I can't believe that our laws don't uh, require that. We used to have laws that required that, but those laws were changed under John Engler and his Republican administration to make it more quote unquote business friendly in the state of Michigan. Mm-hmm. But what it really does is it just puts uh, you know. Majority minority communities and other communities throughout the state in a position uh, where they're having to deal with the consequences of polluters that are externalizing the cost of disposing of their hazardous materials onto the people, onto people's health, onto people's uh, onto people's health, onto people's lungs, uh, and into their water, and so on and so forth. And we need to change that. We need corporations uh, to be responsible citizens and responsible for the messes that they make. So these. These bills, what can people do to support them? What can uh, citizens of Michigan who are really excited about the potential of these bills being passed into law, what can they do? So there's a, there's a bunch of different options, um, you know, of things that people can participate in. Uh, one of them is obviously contacting, you know, contact your representative. Make sure that mm-hmm. uh, the person that represents you in Lansing knows that you want these bills to pass. Right now, uh, you know, there's a letter writing campaign I know that's going on uh, and, and other things on the polluter pay bill. Uh, and there, there have been postcards sent uh, on the, the water withdrawal legislation that we've uh, that we've all received, we need for uh, legislators to know where the people stand. The other thing that you can do is, uh, you know, uh, 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 talk to your uh, friends and neighbors, talk to the people mm-hmm. around you, talk to the people that may not be engaged in politics, that may not uh, feel like they have a voice at the table, encourage them to participate, encourage them to stand up and step up. Uh, you know, it's, it's it, w- just a quick story I want to tell is one of my Republican colleagues came up to me on the floor uh, with an article about my polluter pay bill. And he said to me, you know, I'm getting, uh, I got a communication from one of my constituents about this polluter pay bill. And, you know, uh, you know, just wanted to let you know that, that I had gotten contacted by it. And, you know, I, I told them why this wasn't a good idea, but I just wanted you to know that they had contacted me. And just the fact that he came up to me and said that he got communicated with on that bill means that he's now thinking about it, whereas before he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Even if, even if you know, that email didn't move him, uh, maybe if he gets another one and another one and mm-hmm. another one and another one, he'll start to consider and think about, you know, what it is that, uh, you know, his position is. He'll, he'll start to reconsider what his position is on that legislation. Awesome. So current state of of affairs in Lansing regarding water um, as quickly as you can kind of an elevator style talk uh, what are we doing to address PFAS contamination? Not enough. Right now, we are uh, one of the you know states that doesn't have a standard for PFAS. Uh, there's no national standard either. It's uh, complete. It's a complete disaster, quite frankly. Uh, Fortunately, the new uh, administration has uh, put in some new measures through the new Department of uh, Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy, mm-hmm. and they are doing uh, increased testing. They're doing, there are uh, new dollars um, to help with some remediation work, uh, but there is a lot more that needs to be done uh, to actually set a standard. And to me, that's really um, step number one, is to make sure that we have a strong standard in the state of Michigan. And so the DEQ turned into the Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy. That's right. And and is that tied to the state budget that is yet to pass? Yes, absolutely. Th- those funds? Yeah, uh, some of the funds have already been allocated, but okay. the, the administration is asking for more resources to do some of that, and uh, some of that is being stalled by the budget process. Uh, and unfortunately, the Republicans came out with a budget that severely cuts a lot of the important programs uh, like the Department of uh, Energy or Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy. Okay. 
Uh, how about invasive species in the Great Lakes? Yeah. So that's another huge issue. That's another bipartisan issue. You know, that's one of the things where, you know, when you're knocking doors in a conservative area and people are talking about how much they care about the Great Lakes, uh, they talk about invasive species. So it's a very bipartisan issue. Uh, and there have been a number of bills that have been talked about and that have been introduced uh, to help address that issue. So that's an area I think that there's a lot of potential right now in Lansing. And so uh, you touched on this already with your bill and you can talk more about it, but uh prioritizing public water over private corporations, uh, specifically that bottling loophole. And uh, a lot of people have uh, become aware of this problem through the Nestle case, uh, which has recently been accelerated under the, uh, the last year of the Snyder administration. Yeah, so, you know, the issue... Uh, one of the main issues is that we are, our surface water in the state of Michigan is held in the public trust, but groundwater is not. Even though groundwater is surface water and surface water is groundwater, it's all H2O. And so uh, that's an issue that we need to solve. We need all water in the state of Michigan to be public public water. It should all be public water. The minute water becomes privatized, the minute water becomes commoditized, uh, you know, we start to lose, uh, you know, something of ourselves because people deserve and have the right to, to drink water that that is we have the right to live and water is life and so we can't continue to allow corporations to um, bottle and then sell us back our own water at a massive profit so uh, that's why you know the legislation also includes you know if you're going to bottle it the public needs uh, you know needs a fair cut of that bottling process um, ideally in an ideal world we wouldn't have bottled water at all obviously we know the negative environmental impacts of of bottle of the plastic bottles and what happens to those after they're used, um, but if the water is going to be bottled, we the, the people deserve uh, a fair cut of that, and we deserve for that money to go again into places like Flint and Detroit and other communities across the state that are struggling um, to have their public water infrastructure uh, held to this uh, to a high standard so that people can trust their their water infrastructure. Excellent. Uh, the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. So these are funds coming from the federal government to protect the Great Lakes. There's been talk by the president of cutting it um, by 90% or more. There's been talk by the governor of increasing it, uh, tripling it. Um, where are things at with those funds? So that's fortunately an area where our Congress, congressional delegation in Washington has been fairly unified on a bipartisan basis to protect that money. Um, I don't know why Trump keeps, you know, threatening to, I mean, cycle after cycle, he seems to come forward with a, a budget that cuts that uh, initiative by a significant amount. And uh, I don't know why he insists on cutting it, because it is uh, one of the most popular programs and bipartisan programs um, that the, the federal budget has. Uh, it's not it's not a huge line item either. It's not a whole lot of money. But once it comes to the Great Lakes region, it has a significant impact. And people all the way from the UP, uh, you know, down to the lower peninsula at our universities uh, across the state are using this money to research, are using this money to make the Great Lakes healthier and stronger. Uh, and, you know, we really need those dollars. And so I think we're, we're in a better place right now. Uh, I think Trump is sort of backing away from some of those cuts. Um, but I would not put it past him to try it again uh, next budget cycle as well. Any other current legislation in Lansing that we should know about related to clean water? Um, 
there's there's a lot going on with clean water, uh, and we could probably go on for another hour and a half talking about all the bills uh-huh. that have been introduced. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I think we've talked about some of the ones that I think are are most uh, you know relevant right now. Mm-hmm. Good, thank you. Um, so I'm I'm part of a, a actually I, I remembered one. Oh, that's good. another one that's really relevant. Good. Um, so under under the lame duck uh, period. Uh, last year, there was a bill that was passed to prevent the state from passing any laws that are stricter from the federal government, right. So, which was super damaging to our sovereignty and our ability as a state to uh, be protective of the public health, safety, and welfare of our own citizens. Uh, and so there was a bill introduced uh, by Representative Pohutsky to actually repeal that law and to make it again so that our state and our uh, Department of Environment, Great Lakes, and Energy could uh, put in place rules that were more restrictive than the federal government to protect people's uh, to protect people's health, and that's a law that needs to change as soon as possible. Mm, good, good. Okay, um, water equity and climate resilience. I'm I'm part of this National Policy Link Caucus, and uh, I just want to mention to you we, we've been working all year on a framing paper uh, that deals with the way people are addressing water equity and climate resilience in different parts of the country, the Gulf Coast, the West Coast, the East Coast. Um, and Monica Lewis-Patrick with We the People of Detroit is on the caucus, Nayira Sharif from uh, Flint Rising. Um, anything that we can do as citizens to advocate for water equity and climate resilience to our representatives in Lansing right now? And I'll give you a copy of the, of the framing paper next month when it comes out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, a lot of the things that I mentioned earlier, we, we need people to be present, right? And that's mm-hmm. that's one of the things I think that people overlook often. I mean, we all have busy lives mm-hmm. uh, and we all have things going on, but sometimes it's important to show up uh, and to actually do a lobby day. You know, go come mm-hmm. to Lansing with a group of, you know, 20 people even uh, split up and go into the offices of the legislators and meet with them and talk about, you know, the importance of climate justice and the importance of, uh, you know, social justice in general and having these conversations with them, again, putting it on their radar. Uh, the other thing that folks can do is showing up to constituent hours that representatives have in their districts uh, and uh, and making sure that, that your presence is known there. Uh, one thing that people can do in that category as well is, you know, if you have if you don't live in the specific representative's district, uh, but you have a friend that does call your friend up, even if they're mm-hmm. not as engaged in politics and say, hey, do you want to hang out and, you know, go to this uh, coffee hour, hang out for a couple hours and then maybe go get lunch afterwards. Uh, that's a great way of, you know, reconnecting with a friend of yours, engaging them, activating them and getting them in front of uh, their elected official to make sure that they're also uh, advocating. And even if even if they're not willing to ask a question or you're not comfortable asking a question, just even being there uh, and being present uh, and showing them that uh, uh, showing them your face uh, so mm-hmm. that they recognize you uh, when you send them an email or when you call them or when you show up in their office and start, uh, you know, asking that they do something. It's all part of the process of building your political power and building your your say and your voice is part of the process. And your constituent hours are here at Ruse Rose. In the this original. very room right here. <laughs> when can people come and connect with you? So we have uh, we have coffee hours uh, it, at Ruse Roast in this in this uh, side room uh, every fourth Saturday of the month at 10 a.m. So that's a reoccurring uh, reoccurring event. And then we also do the uh, second Monday of the month at 6 p.m. And we rotate the location depending on the season. 
so uh, we're doing uh, Dominic's uh, in Ann Arbor mm -hmm. for the next couple of months. Uh, we had our, our last one at Dominic's as well. So, yeah. First time I ever drank sangria in the beer garden at Dominic's. Absolutely. They got good stuff there. So growing up in Ann Arbor, you had to have seen some amazing, mind-blowing concerts. Yeah. What were some of the most powerful shows you've ever been to? Well, th there have been a lot. Actually, one of the ones that really sticks with me is a show that I saw in Detroit um, from an international artist uh, at St. Andrew's Hall. It was Manu Chao. Mm. Uh, and I was I still was at the time and still I'm a huge fan of Manu Chao. I think he, uh, you know, really his incorporation of multiple languages and multiple cultures into his music mm -hmm. is really powerful. And uh, the messages that he has and the way that he delivers them in a very non-traditional uh, way uh, really speak to me. Um, and I think his, his art form is just incredible. What have you been listening to lately in your commute to and from Lansing? Oh, I listen to all kinds of stuff. Honestly, I'm on the phone for a big chunk of the commute, too, uh -huh. you know, like making a lot of calls and talking to people. So sometimes I don't have as much time to uh, to listen to music on my ride because I'm having so many conversations. Right on. So, right on. Yeah. Uh, what are some tunes that have inspired you to, to be a servant leader? Oh, man, that's a really good question. Um, Las Cafeteras is a group that has really good music um and they have a particular song that i'm you know that i that i really i try to i listen to it quite a bit because it really touches on the history of you know racial justice uh in our country um and it's it's something that really speaks to me um a tribe called red uh is mm -hmm. really good and you know uh, uh again really speaks to me very powerful um, infusion of uh, of music, um, so th there's a lot of good stuff out there that I try to connect with. But I'm always also open to new horizons and new possibilities. In terms of my uh, 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 in terms of my um, expanding my musical repertoire and and really connecting with good music, uh, one of my favorite ways to do that is actually listening to uh, WCBN radio in Ann Arbor. Uh -huh. I don't know if you're familiar with WCBN, but it's Absolutely. this yeah, student radio station. And uh, that's like my pre-programmed radio station that I'm like always listening to. And so, you know, I don't know uh, sometimes who I'm listening to or what mm -hmm. I'm listening to, but uh, it has definitely expanded my musical horizons um, to really, you know, think beyond uh, you know, uh, to think about both local music and global music at the same time, sometimes mm -hmm. in the same show, uh, and really engaging with artists from, uh, from, from all over the world. Uh, and, uh, you know, so I also listen to a lot of, so my, my father is North African, um, from Algeria. And so I often listen to, um, music from Algeria, uh, Berber music, Tuareg music, Tanari Wen, and uh, other, you know, and I don't, I don't speak Arabic and I don't speak Berber, but I often try to like do a little bit of research on what the lyrics are, uh, and they have really good and powerful lyrics about, again, about water, about, uh, about their connection to uh, the Sahara Desert and to the landscapes around them. Um, uh, Matou Bluness uh, was uh, an artist in uh, the uh, 70s and 80s in Algeria, and uh, he was uh, he was murdered, but he was a, a uh, proud and vocal advocate for indigenous the indigenous rights of the Berber people, which mm -hmm. I'm uh, Berber uh, on my dad's side, 
And so uh, I, you know, connecting with that and connecting with those roots that I have uh, in North Africa have always been very important to me as well and helped to give me strength. Uh, and, uh, you know, as I'm looking forward uh, to the vision that I have uh, of, of a better world that we can all share, I always have to go back to who I am as a person. And those roots mm-hmm. trace back through Ypsilanti and through Ann Arbor all the way back to my father's home country and my mother's home country. Uh, 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 my mom was born in Detroit. Her father was born in Detroit. Her, uh, and then his father came from Italy. So uh, my Italian roots, my North African roots. Um, and so I, I, I try to connect with that as much as possible. That's fantastic. Yeah, that Tuareg music has gotten deep in, in my uh, realm of influence. And I got to meet... Uh, Madhu Mokhtar. I actually bought this wow. ring from him. Oh my God, that's uh, awesome, man! Yeah, last month, and uh, and then Bambino last yes, month. Yes, Bambino, as well. is so good. Yeah, yeah, such amazing stuff. Um, well, just in closing, um, we were at the Great Lakes Awards, Clean Water Actions Annual uh, Awards Gala and Fundraiser, and you were awarded uh, the the Great Lakes Champion Award as a legislator. Uh, what did that mean to you to be recognized in that way? Um, it was so so often in this line of work, um, the 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 popular position is not always the right one, and there are, like I said, so many forces and so many dollars and resources that are invested in um, discrediting and delegitimizing people that are trying to do the right thing. Um, that just having uh, a moment of recognition for the work, not just that I've been doing, but the work that's been done by so many activists across the state. I mean, I think I said this when I received the award. I, I don't feel like it's an award for me. I feel like it's an award for everybody that was sitting in that room and everybody that couldn't make it to that room uh, all across the state. And to me, that's the power of the collective voice um, that can all come together to push for change. Uh, and so it meant a lot to me, but it meant more to me that uh, that it wasn't just my award, that it was all of our award and that we have a lot more work to do, but we, it's important for us to pause from time to time and think of that which we have accomplished. Thank you for the work you're doing to protect the people in the water. Keep it up. Thank you. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you. Appreciate you. Mic drop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
And now, as a treat for our listeners, a previously unreleased piece of music by guitarists Mike Savina and Seth Bernard called Tangerine Aquamarine. We hope you enjoy. We'll see you next time.
Don't miss an episode. Tune in next time.